Our text this morning is the uh, epistle reading in Romans 7. I want to take you down to that very last verse, verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. This is our text. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My uh, father-in-law, Pastor Didi, some of you know, uh, he told me uh, when he was a little boy up in Milwaukee, one of the things that his father did was uh, he, he would go to the, the bakery and uh, it, 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 at some point during the year he would get a barrel full of cookies which you know seems like a lot of cookies to me uh, and the thing was full you know when when he brought it home and uh, the thing that killed me about that was that uh, he had very little reaction to the thing I mean he, he told me that it happened but uh, you know if it was me I know I'd be in the barrel all the time uh, and he said no it didn't really happen that way and the reason he said that it didn't happen that way is because there was no rule about how many cookies you could eat. The barrel was there, and however many were there, you could have some whenever you wanted. It was no problem. Uh, and, and, of course, he said uh, when that first happened, they probably, he didn't remember it exactly, but he said he probably was in it kind of way too much. But there wasn't any restriction, so eventually he just stopped worrying about it and he and his family they would get a cookie when they felt like it and they didn't spend a lot of time on it but because there wasn't any restriction and there wasn't any reason to go in there all the time except on occasion if you happened to want a cookie you didn't want a cookie when you didn't need one I always thought that was kind of weird but this is kind of what's going on here uh, uh, it, it should have looked to Israel that uh, God's covenant and commandments were good. And, and, uh, and it was God's gift, much like Adam's forbidden fruit. <laughs> uh, there were rules there. Uh, Adam was told, don't eat the fruit from that one tree. Everything else was fine. Uh, and uh, Israel, same thing. Here is your list of commandments. There's a lot of them, mind you. Uh, and you know some of them, and you pay attention to some of them. But it should have been obvious enough that that was good. So here's Paul talking to the Romans about it. There's a lot of Jewish folks there among the Christians in that church and some Gentiles as well. And they had uh, been told by the Jewish guys, the Gentile guys were told by the Jewish guys, they're Christians still, mind you, but uh, they were told that they had to do everything that the law commanded. Well, then we run into some trouble, just like Adam did. Until you hear that something is forbidden by someone in authority, you'd probably uh, be okay. But as soon as you know that something is forbidden, being uh, human beings, most of you are human beings anyway. There's some question about a few of you, but 
I think <laughs> that that's okay. Uh, so why is there a problem? Well, because as soon as you're told that you're not allowed to do something, then there's this curiosity, this enticement. How come I can't do that? What's the big deal? I mean, you probably, I can hear teenagers like crazy. I don't know what's the matter with me. All right, so then out comes the disobedience and the rebellion. And of course, then that follows right into sin. Now, if you were able to keep all of the given commandments that God had put in place, then you'd be able to live at peace with God forever and there would be no sin and there would be no death and everything would be great. You could ask Adam about that. It probably took him a few days to get around to sinning. But it's so impossible for our human nature to hold that line. We just, there's the nature of our corrupted human nature, I guess is, I mean, that's what it is. It, it can't, it can't do it. Adam knows that. Israel knows that. All the uh, people in, uh, in the Roman church certainly knows that. Uh, Paul knows the, you know, the cookie barrel is only a problem when it's forbidden. Or at least that's the beginning of the problem. Now you know, sitting here in, in your daily lives, that God's word is all good. It's not a question that you have. You know that it's good and you want to follow it. I mean, that's the spirit that lives in you, wants to follow it. But you also know that you can't. Because, you know, it's a part of our, uh, our Christian faith that, uh, well, you know how it goes. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, right? And certainly we know as a part of our faith, uh, it's a thing that we believe because God has said it, that we sin. That we have a sinful nature and that we do follow up on it. So even though you know that, that God's commands are good, you still can't do it. Paul just told you that sin in you uses the good commandment to draw you into sin's power and then to death. It's your sinful inclination. It's yours. It's nobody else's. It's the one that's in you. No one else's is required. That, uh, and you can bring about temptation all by yourself without any help at all. All it takes is for somebody to say, no, you're not supposed to do that. Temptation is pretty easy. You all have one or more temptations that are in you that are a constant battle. That's just the nature of human beings or something that gets to you and something that drags you off. The temptation is standing there in your face. Uh, and, and everybody's got different ones, uh, sweet or salty or cars or money or kids or, or whatever it is, achievement, uh, power, whatever, something. And whatever it is that makes you think it's happier to have this thing than to listen to God. That's the thing that tempts you off into sin. But it's only the first step to sin to have that thing in front of you. The second part is within the part that seizes on that. The part that looks at the restriction and says, nope, I got to have it. And off to sin you go. And that follows, of course, right on its heels with death. 
So, I mean, ultimately, it's what Paul is talking about here. So how do you know what sin is? The reason that you know what sin is is because somebody told you that something is restricted. And, and God is the one who uh, defines the thing. He's the one that says this is good and this is bad. Don't do this. Do this. And uh, that's where the restriction lies and that's where the commandment is. And then right there is sin and death for us. Not because God wants it to be that way, but because that's the way you are. There is an exception, though, to the trap. Paul says that the requirements are gone when you die. So all you have to do to be free of sin and death is to die, which sounds counterproductive to me. But that's what he says. So I would suppose, even though it doesn't sound like it, for once it would be good that you died. Now, uh, and that sounds horrible. When you were baptized, Paul tells you that you died with Christ. You shared in his crucifixion. You shared in his death and are therefore dead, just like he was dead. And, and therefore, also, you are dead to the law, the commandments of God, all those commandments, all of God's commands, you're free from them. Because you're dead, or at least you died. Now, uh, that just is difficult, I, I'll grant you that, but um, if you are dead, like he says, it's just like a marriage. You know, when you get married, uh, at least in a church, you still hear from me that uh, it's till death do you part. That's, that's the rule of marriage, and I didn't make that up, that's God talking. He's the one that says that's true. So when you get married, you're married until one of you dies, and then you're free of the marriage. The law of the marriage is, is no more. <clears throat> so till death do you part, everything else is adultery and sin, and that lasts until one dies, and that's the end of it. But since you died to sin... You're not married to sin anymore. <laughs> you are married to another. Because you're free to do that. And the one that you're married to is the one who rose with you also. So in that same baptism where you died, he rose from death and you rose with him. You participated, shared in his resurrection, and he makes you alive too. The same risen son of God who provided for your forgiveness and gave you the Holy Spirit and granted you eternal life, that's the one that you're married to now. Even though you hear the commandment, and you know, just as an example, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, as soon as you hear that thing, <laughs> you know you sin because you can't do it. You can, you can make an effort and you can know that it's good, but this, the, the human nature that's in you, it can't do it. And so you sin and you deserve condemnation and death, but you are no longer married to sin. It's gone. You are not stuck with the death that follows that, but you are, in fact, joined 
to Jesus. And, and in that marriage, you are Christ's bride. Now, you heard uh, that scripture says that's who you are. You are the church. The church is the bride of Christ, and you are that. Now, what you may not have noticed is that when God talks about marriage, he says the two shall become one flesh. Well, he's not kidding. So if you're married to Christ, if you are the bride of Christ, then you are one flesh with Christ. You are also called the body of Christ. Well, that's why. Because the two have become one flesh. That's what happened. That's what you're married to now. Okay, so now if this is the truth, and Christ died and lives, because death couldn't hold him, and you are one flesh with him, you are also going to share in what has happened to him in his death and then in his life. Your holiness is Christ's holiness. That's what you have as you stand in front of God. And, and you have also, because you are of one flesh with Christ as his bride, you also have his eternal and holy blood earning you a place before God forever. So in the end, you've got to ask yourself, can you blame God's command for Adam's death or for your own? Because you know, Paul says here, God told him, God says it really out loud multiple times, that the law is good, that it's holy, that it's perfect, because it comes from God. <clears throat> so who's responsible for your sin and your death? Well, you are. But see, that, uh, that death is going to happen to your mortal body, but it isn't the only thing that happens because in your baptism, Christ has come to you. You are one with him. And so you share in his death, which is holy, not from sin, because he didn't have any, and you rise with him because that is holy. It didn't come from sin. And, and so being one with him, you are him. Not in your behavior, it's not perfect like that, but you are forgiven in him. You are dead with him, and the life that you have right now is his, and it is alive, and it is eternal. So, actually, sin doesn't kill you, but your baptism does. But it's a different kind of death. It's the kind that rises with Christ. And so you are dead, and you are alive in Christ. One flesh with him one body with him, one bride with him, one holy and eternal life with him. And that is the way he wants you to be, and that is what he has declared you to be, and so it is. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.